We're going to be reading from Genesis this morning, chapter 9. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed by the Lord my God be Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. May God make space for Japheth, and let him live in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. Amen. You may be seated. I didn't know that Keith was going to talk about broken people and use that image, but it's perfect as an introduction for what we're going to be talking about this month because we're going to be talking some about things that are broken, some people who are broken in our country and be looking for solutions and ways to do better. I try to read one of our United Methodist Women's, now United Women of Faith, organizations book list they have a long reading list I can commend to you they select a broad section of all kinds of different books and recommend reading to us I try to read at least one every year the one that was on the top of the stack when I walked into the library several months ago to look at the list was this one called do all lives matter and then the subtitle really caught my attention the issues we can no longer ignore, and the solutions we all long for. It's written by a white man and a black man, a pastor and a social worker. They have worked together for decades to try to help broken people, if you will, in the area of Chicago where they live and work and do ministry. Wayne Gordon, one of the authors writes in the book that he woke up one Sunday morning convicted by God that he wasn't doing enough, that he needed to do something more, that there was so much violence in his city, and it seemed to him like not, people just weren't responding, and somehow they were maybe becoming numb to the whole thing. He writes, I experienced some mixture of grief, fear, anger, confusion, and helplessness each time the TV screens and headlines are dominated by news of yet another mass killing. Maybe you've felt that way. I know I have felt that way, and I've written to you some things about how frustrating it is to me and overwhelming that we have so much violence in our country, and yet it's so hard to get a handle on. It's hard to know what to do as an individual citizen, to know what to do as a Christian, that we might stem this tide of violence. It's hard to pin it down to a single cause. I've had lots of conversations with many of you about what are the solutions? What can we do? Gordon writes in the book, Of course, I know I can't solve the world's problems, but I awoke on July 10th with a profound sense of urgency and determination to do something, to exercise whatever influence I might have to push back against the violence 
the hatred, the intolerance, and the insensitivity that results in some people feeling insignificant, inferior, and unequal. In short, feeling that their lives don't really matter. It's a problem in our country that people feel that way and somehow feel marginalized and disenfranchised and if they live or die nobody really cares and if they're a person of color feeling like their life doesn't matter as much as if they had light skin but it's not just a problem for people of color but for all of us because we're all part of the culture of this country We live in a land with a legacy of slavery and unspeakable brutality, a system established for profit for some at the cost of others. We must remember that our faith tells us when any one is diminished, we're all diminished. When any one is suffering, we're all to sense and identify with the suffering. We need to remember that we live in a land as a legacy of law enforcement in part being started to track down runaway slaves, people who were going for freedom, being brought back to a situation of brutality, a system of law enforcement that was used to enforce segregation and inequality. Some have started using the religious language of original sin to talk about the legacy of slavery and racism in our country. It made me uncomfortable when I first heard that, but the more I've contemplated it, I begin to understand better how it does explain a part of our history. It is built into our original documents, documents designed for independence and freedom but not for everybody. The Declaration of Independence, which is a masterwork, and yet it leaves out women of any color and certainly people of color. Ironically, if you've read through it recently, you might notice that women or slaves or other people disenfranchised could have used the very words the founders put in the Declaration to the King declaring that they were being treated unfairly that they weren't being given any representation in affairs that affected their own life that they were being forced to live by rules different from the king that he was acting as a tyrant and not hearing the pleas of the people it's a beautifully written document read it again sometime and see how it might apply to more than just the colonists writing to the king. Our Constitution begins by identifying free people in the United States and then talking about others as three-fifths of a human. You can see why some have grabbed this religious language of original sin. It does have some explanatory power. But it's not just government and political leaders who have 
fallen into this folly. The church fell into the same patterns as far back as the 1400s. The church, capital C, said to European explorers that they could conquer any people by any means necessary if they were not Christian. And it led to great carnage and human suffering as explorers subdued people who were not Christian. It led to mass extinction and mass killings of some populations. The legacy of this set in motion the message in writing and in action that not all lives matter. As Christians in this time and place, I think we would all agree that all lives matter to God. We affirm it in our core values. You heard Eva Marie affirm it in our pastoral prayer. The declaration says all people are created equal. It actually says all men. I'm abridging it, kind of editing it up. For us today, for our purposes to think about what does it mean if all people are created equal, if, if we strive for liberty and justice for all, what does that mean in our day and age? Our Methodist movement to move a little closer to home struggled with these same problems in the 1700s. Leaders of the church who happened to be black left the Methodist Episcopal Church as it was known then to establish the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME Church, the AME Zion Church, the CME, which originally stood for Colored Methodist Episcopal Church, because they were not being treated fairly, forced to sit in the balcony or stand outside. At the time of the American revivals, Methodism was thriving, but we were struggling with racism and segregation even in those days. Most of us know that the Methodist Church split in the 1800s over slavery. The Methodist Episcopal Church South, out of which we were born, established to protect slave owners and to say it was a blessing and the guidance of God that made this okay. When the church is reunited in 1939, it only happened because the white leaders agreed that if you were African American, you would be segregated from whites even within the church. Methodists were still arguing that skin color made you superior, and if you were lighter, you were better. You were more favored by God somehow. Many use the text we read this morning from Genesis 9 about slavery to say it's all right because some are given dominion over others. It's all right to curse some because some others are more blessed by God. That somehow enslaving people was a part of God's plan and then they tied Canaan, which is the references we read, to Africa and had their case for it being blessed by God for Americans to hold Africans 
as enslaved people. So has part of the story of our country been that not all lives mattered as much as white lives? Has part of the story of our church been that not all lives mattered as much as white lives? John Perkins, the other co-author in this book, was 86 years old a few years ago when they wrote the book. He recounts his own life story of being brutalized the hands of white people and white law enforcement of things he had overcome of ways that he had grown of how he dealt with being black in America then he writes I have many characteristics of people often written off as unimportant people who often come to feel that their lives just do not matter. Then he tells the story of running into a young teenager who was black, who had a gun and was wild-eyed. And John says he stopped to talk to the young man to see what was wrong, what was going on. He says the young man was despondent. He had decided his life didn't matter. He was ready to kill someone and then turn the gun on himself. He had been told in numerous ways throughout his life that his life had little value, that maybe his life didn't matter. John Perkins listened and offered love to the young man that day. He goes on to write, all people need to accept responsibility for improving the society in which we live. We need to work together to create a climate that clearly acknowledges that all lives matter. All people have inherent dignity. But many don't know it or feel it or believe it. It's beyond their experience. People who are hurting often turn to violence, drugs, gangs, and other destructive behavior as a remedy for their pain. They view themselves as victims, but when they come to understand and believe that their lives matter, they will take responsibility for their own lives and show concern for the lives of others. They need help to do this. You heard Keith talking about help and I changed Randy's life. We can be those people who help, who make a difference, who lift people up. We can be those people in this country. Have you listened to anybody's story lately who perhaps was different from you, who seemed to have a different perspective than you had? Have you listened for that? One of the reasons I picked up the book is I wanted to listen to the story of these two gentlemen, one white, one black, working to build better race relations in Chicago. I love that they want to talk about solutions and what we can do as Christians to make a difference, to build a more perfect union, if you will, to do better in our country. I went a few 
days ago with a group of people here from here at the church over to the Greenwood Cultural Center. The city was having a discussion about race relations in Tulsa, what the problems were, and some possible solutions. I went to listen, to learn, to think about what we might be able to do better, how we might make a positive difference in Tulsa. Last week I took some time to take to lunch one of our city leaders, it's a man, he's a person of color, he's worked in race relations in many ways in the city of Tulsa. I wanted to hear his story. I wanted to know who he was. I wanted to know why he did the kind of things he did. Turns out his dad's a preacher. Go Christians. Grew up in a Baptist household. Okay. <laughs> great to talk with him and hear his story where he came from and how he's experienced america he's chosen tulsa he didn't grow up here he's chosen tulsa as his place of residence where he's going to raise his family he wants us to be better i want us to be better we had a great time talking over lunch it's important to listen to others, especially those who have suffered. You know, if you read through any one of the four Gospels, the centerpiece is the passion of Christ, that last week of Christ's life that tells us about his arrest, his mock trial, his torture, his suffering, and finally his crucifixion. It's called the passion of Christ. From the word pathos, which means suffering. It reminds us that Christ suffered for all of us, for all of humankind. Those Gospels tell us before Jesus was crucified, he stood on a hill and looked over Jerusalem and cried. Because they would not listen. They would not listen. There's only one race. It is the human race. It is for whom Christ died. Our text today talked about being blessed so that we could curse and enslave another. Just a little later in Genesis it gets better and God tells Abraham he's going to be blessed so that he can be a blessing to all peoples and all nations so that all might know the blessings of God. I'm going to extend an invitation to you every week this month, something to think about or consider so that God might use us in our city, in our time, and in our place to help build God's kingdom simply asking you this week to think about to look for a person different from you and listen listen to their story learn about their experience do it in person if you can but if not pick up a book listen to a podcast read a story think about the experiences listen if you're white i recommend you listen to a person of color the authors 
the end of one of the chapters I read this week, right, these words, I'll use this as we close. So where do we go from here? The Apostle Paul said, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Somehow they say it all comes down to mutual love and respect for one another. We must have enough love to reach out and feel the pain of others, bear it in ourselves, and look to Christ for resolution. As the called out ones, the body of Christ, the church, we should be the model for that. Might God bless us so that we can go forth to be the model for God's love alive in the world so that we can go forth and be the church. I pray that it might be so. Amen.